0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement.
1: Hello, VRUP community and industry friends. A quick note that Vancouver Real Estate Podcast is hiring. If you are an agent or if you're going to be licensed in the next 90 days, Please reach out at info at Vancouver Real Again, that's info at Vancouver Real Hello. Hello.
2: Hello. This is the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.
1: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina, And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so fired up for today. But first, host, but also realtors with Oakland Realty, downtown Vancouver. That, yeah. And again, though, I, I want to really express my excitement for having Tara Gronland on the program today. She is the principal at GDP Architecture. And we brought her on because we want to talk about multiplexes, upzoning that's happening in Vancouver and the province what we know up to this point, and when we'll know more. And this is like an, uh, an info-packed show, I would yeah, say. Yeah, and I would never say we don't get too in the weeds. No. But it's like, if
3: we if we talked last week with Tom Davidoff, big picture. Yeah. And kind of the, almost from an economic lens, like, and a supply lens, and, and when does this get built, and how does it impact values and, and markets sort of, Oriented questions. I feel like with Tara, we dig deep into okay, what does this actually look like on the ground? What's going on right now? And kind of detail oriented in a super useful way. And and a lot of people have been asking about this stuff. And uh, yeah, I think this is the easiest way to kind of digest it. Totally, totally. I and tried going through the provinces PDFs. It
1: didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. Yeah, for sure. And we should also say that we do talk about the implications of oh, the upzoning of course, yeah. as well. So there's. We kind of touched on a lot of things today. You're going to leave with a better understanding of multiplexes and, and uh, the new zoning changes. You're also going to leave with a better understanding, I think, of the complications, the questions around it. But it's overall, it's an enjoyable conversation. It was great having Tara in the studio. But before we get to that, Matt, that's right. Uh, a couple of things. We are sponsored today by Vancouver Real Estate Podcast and our firm, Scalina Real Estate. We should say we have a brand new listing that we talked a little bit. We you hinted. teased this one. You teased this last yeah, week. So 714 at 250 East 6th Ave, which is district. This is listed at 949, 900. Two bed, two bath, 779 square feet. Really, really beautiful courtyard, mountain, and city views. And just a, a, a really well-configured unit with east-facing uh, outdoor space. Get that morning sun really nice. Uh, Uh, I I love that building. I love that area. And I used to live like down the street from there for years. And I got to say that part of Mount Pleasant, you're never bored. No, I feel like
3: that right in that, that area between what second and Broadway is like, it's kind of a bumping area there. And you're,
1: you're, you got access to everything, let alone the new SkyTrain. Well, yeah. And Guelph Park, of course, which is, uh, basically it's like Woodstock there in the summer. Yeah,
3: and you know what? There's a couple of, uh, places I've been, uh, well, our office is, what would you say?
1: West Mount Pleasant? Oh yeah. We're Mount Pleasant West. Yeah.
3: Yeah. In between us and main street is like, I feel like there's like that. It's like one of the cooler pockets of like breweries and bars totally. that you, and coffee shops that I, I feel like I used to live in that area too. It's like, I didn't
1: even know. I, I just wouldn't go west of Maine in. And yeah. it's like, man. it's a- Honestly, I think if, if I had to kind of, I often think about this, like if I had to say like the, one of the, maybe the best neighborhood.
3: I think it's Vancouver. actually
1: maybe been awarded of one of the best in Canada.
3: Yeah. Well, no,
1: I know. And it, but it makes sense. It's like, it's just so good. It's so great. What was that address again? Yeah, it's 715 at 250 East 6th Ave District Building. And
3: if you want more information, including photos, videos, you can head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is where all our featured listings live. While you're there, you might want to hit sell with us. It's a yes. button. You can download the sold plan. Adam, explain what the soul plan is. sold for our plan, listeners. our
1: most downloaded document to date, and it's only getting in, it's getting a bit of a facelift coming up because it's a, uh, every day there's just a little bit more to the sold plan. <laughs> and, uh, well, the nice thing about the sold plan is sold stands for start on launch date. so you pick the day that you want to launch your listing and it gives you a step by step guideline to get your home ready for market to get top dollar in the shortest amount of time. It is a great just it's it's based on our experience, almost fifteen years of selling hundreds and hundreds of homes in, in Vancouver. And uh, really, Matt, I think uh, I think it's a good way to kind of just, if you're thinking about selling in the near future or even in the distant future, it's a good document to have on just saved. On yeah, file. exactly. It, it kind of
3: outlines some of uh, the systems we've put in place over the years. And the nicest thing is if you work with us, you can throw that sold plan away because we do everything for you.
1: Absolutely, Matt. Anything else you want to talk about or let's jump to our conversation with Tara? I don't think I got anything else except uh, happy belated Valentine's to everyone. <laughs> to there. everybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this is a great episode. Uh, enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Markon, a local family owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Markon is not only committed to high quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the lower mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon
3: projects. Elmwood, a thirty eight story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature three hundred and thirty five condominiums, over thirty seven thousand square feet of office and retail space, and almost twenty thousand square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with eighty percent sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one bedroom all the way to three bedroom homes remaining. Check out markonca
1: slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sonehouse, House, Marcon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sonehouse House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Markon, building for
3: life.
1: Okay, so we're here with Tara Gronlund. She is the principal at GDP Architecture. How are you doing, Tara?
2: Very well.
3: Yeah, thanks for uh, coming down to the studio. Appreciate your time.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me.
1: And it's funny because you do almost uh, your firm's virtual. And we had to bring you down in person, but it always goes a little bit better in person. That's all
2: fine. That's all fine. We only operate internally, virtually. Ah, okay, okay, (laughs) perfect,
1: perfect. Maybe can you start by telling our listeners just a little bit about yourself and, of course, GDP?
2: Sure. So I am a registered architect and the principal of GDP architecture, like you said. My husband and work partner Robert Dare and I uh, started our prior company Groundland Dare Partnership uh, back in uh, 2002 and that then evolved into what is now GDP Architecture. We are based in Vancouver though we do do work all over uh, Metro Vancouver, Vancouver Island, up into the Okanagan. We are a small boutique architecture firm Specializing in residential projects. So that means anything from single family dwellings up to multifamily
1: developments. Okay. And how, how did you get your start? Like how, why, why architecture?
2: Why architecture? Oh, goodness. Well, show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Show. yeah, exactly. <laughs> a decision that uh, so I sometimes regret. But anyways, <laughs> um, my background actually initially was in interior design. That's my my first degree and then went on to study architecture. I've always been fascinated by buildings and um, design. Great. Spaces. It just uh, was the right fit for me.
3: Fantastic. Well, well Tara... We've we've brought you on to, to talk a little bit about what I would say is a complicated subject, but one a lot yes. of people are bringing up to us and mm-hmm. are hoping we cover on the show. Basically, all the zoning changes that are taking place in Vancouver, mm-hmm. of course, in Metro Vancouver, and at the provincial level. Can we start maybe by talking about the large overarching frameworks sure. and, mm-hmm. and what's going on and yeah. what's changing and yeah. how to understand it? Yeah,
2: there are a lot of changes that have... Ha- happened in the you know last few months and then also a lot of upcoming changes that are going to be happening. So I guess to talk about, there's two things going on, both at the municipal level and at the provincial level. So in terms of the municipal level, a number of municipalities, including the city of Victoria, city of Vancouver, last year initiated moves to their own single-family residential zones to allow multiplex developments in various forms. So that happened last year, and it has has been enacted, is available, which is, I guess, what we're going to talk about today in the Mm -hmm. city of Vancouver, is the new R11 district. But then we also have a number of things happening at the provincial level, which have kind of overlap and... Um, new regulations. So there's um, three bills that were that um, obtained ro- um, royal assent last uh, end of November. Bill 44, which has to do with uh, the small-scale multi-unit housing zoning, and that's going to mean that essentially every municipality over a certain size, I believe it's 5,000 population. is now going to have to enact changes to their single-family residential zones to allow for multi-unit developments. What that's going to look like depends on lots of different factors. But essentially, it's going to mean that most properties within the province will be allowed to have three units, three to four units on them. That's broad
3: strokes. And is that um, and and just to and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but depending on the municipality, is that based on population or
2: in terms of what you can uh, do on a particular exact, property? Exact, yeah. Um yeah, it's a complicated question. Yeah. The the SSMUH guidelines, small-scale multi-unit housing, it is a very broad-based regulation in which it gives some kind of over, over um, or larger scale guidelines in which municipalities then have to craft their own zoning bylaws to fit within that. Okay. So um, what it is, is there's a number of determining factors on, you know, like the size of the property, where it's located, is it close to transit, all these kinds of things on what you can actually do on a particular property. So none of that has actually been implemented yet. The bill was passed, but the municipalities have until Ju- the end of June to actually integrate these changes into their zoning bylaws. So at that point, then it, it, it'll be more defined what, what people can actually do on a particular property.
3: Right, right. And, and so that's Bill 44.
2: That's Bill 44. Then there's Bill 46, which has to do with development financing and amenity cost charges. The aim of this bill is to streamline and make more transparent development costs for people across the uh, across the province. I don't know a lot of the nuts and bolts of that one, mm-hmm. just the broad strokes.
3: But it's but um, if I understand that would be transparency, but also hoping to not have everything get caught up in a municipal. Like back and forth, what's going on? We've been at this for 24 months.
2: And even Bill 44 is supposed to be aiming to do that as well, is to try to streamline public consultation and all these things to try and get housing built.
1: Right. And and what was the timeline on that? Do you know roughly?
2: All of them. End of June. So Bill 44, Bill 47, and Bill 46 all have to be enacted by the municipalities by June 30th. Got it. Okay. There are mechanisms put in place for, you know, extensions and all this, but I that's what's in the legislation. Right. And then finally there's Bill 44, which is the Transit Oriented Areas Development Bill. This will affect larger municipalities, primarily the lower mainland because it affects hubs around transit. Right. So around any SkyTrain station for instance or any larger scale bus loop Municipalities will have to legislate certain degree of density around them, regardless of what's been in their OCPs. So this is a big change that will affect both the city of Vancouver and the metro region in particular.
3: And and so for that one, and we've all looked at those maps and, you know, I got the text, I think I won the lottery and it's unclear yet whether.
1: You got those texts from clients. You didn't get a lottery text.
3: No, no, no. I didn't win the lottery. That's for sure. Um, But that is for just in terms of the density right around the SkyTrain I'm trying to remember, is it how many stories do you have that?
2: Well, it's kind of in concentric circles around SkyTrain stations and bus loops. Like, for instance, the Dunbar loop in uh, Dunbar and 41st will be affected by this right. to a different degree. But for SkyTrain stations, it's in concentric circles around first being 200 meters, you're allowed a certain level of density, then 400, then 800 meters. Right. And then around bus loops, it goes up to 400 meters.
3: Right. But it's like so near the... It's, it's like 20 stories. Um, 20 stories could be if you're...
2: Well, it's the minimum allowable height around a SkyTrain station that's within 200 meters is up to 20 stories. Between 200 and 400 is up to 12. And then between 400 and 800 is up to 8.
3: Okay. Right. Now... Again, this might be...
2: But then with different FSRs. So whether you actually get to that, whether municipalities also already have in place... Like there's lots of areas of Vancouver where this is going to be a moot point, right? Right, right. But some areas will not. For instance, the new Broadway Skytrain corridor. All of those stations are going to be affected by this. Right,
3: right. So for instance, and this... I don't know if this is... uh, You can answer this, but this was one question I had when I saw this. Was you know in say near the Commercial Drive SkyTrain station, yeah. if you go to East Seventh, for instance, there's a lot of beautiful old homes mm-hmm. on on those residential streets. But it's very close to the SkyTrain. Right? Is there any you know you'll see the heritage plaques on some of those homes, right. things like that? Is that just how how does that no, well, work now? Do um, you know?
2: <laughs> well, I believe if 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 you have a building that has heritage uh, standing. They are exempt from these kinds of, okay. so of they're regulations still, generally. Yeah. Right. I think there is some gray area there with older homes that don't have heritage status, et cetera, that may have, you know, traditionally gone through, you know, processes to be kept under, you know, conversion dwellings right. and all of this. But I I don't really, I don't know if I can answer that no, one no. right I, now. And, actually. and, you know,
3: and it, yeah, it might be too early. I was just thinking, cause we used to, you know, say four or five years ago, always talk about kind of World War 2 post-war, right. you're good before,
2: before <laughs> yeah. the end. There was of a cutoff date, right? yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a
3: 1920s yeah. house. It's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. And presumably a lot of those, uh, that's going to go by the wayside in in a lot of cases if you have this type of blanket reason, Right,
2: and uh, and I think that's part of the dialogue between the province and the city of Vancouver anyways. Um, right. But I, I don't know the answers to that. Right. Of course, none of this is actually being put into place, except for a number of SkyTrain stations were slated to be coming to effect immediately. Right now, I haven't looked at that in detail, but I think they are the ones who, you know, this policy is kind of a moot point because there already already. is. There's already density around them. It doesn't really the policy doesn't matter, so to speak.
1: And and I'm just looking at the Van map. viewer map that you brought, which uh, yellow applies to basically everything that's R11 zoned. Correct. And most of the city of Vancouver appears to be yellow.
2: Yes. (laughs) Um,
1: So let's uh, maybe, can we talk about like, first of all, maybe what is a multiplex and which lots qualify in this, in the city of Vancouver?
2: Right. Right. So moving away from the provincial stuff, then to target in on um, the city of Vancouver. So last October, They transitioned, just to give an overview then a little bit more, they transitioned all of the properties that were zoned RS and then a number. All of those properties within the city were all changed to a new zone called R11. Okay.
1: So RS is R1.
2: There is no RS anymore. R11. They're all R11. So what that did is it both streamlined the zoning regulations. Because now instead of having a patchwork of all these different regulations and interpretations and all this, it's all under one zone. It's actually quite a bit simplified. And within that zone, you are still permitted to build a single family house or a duplex, a laneway house, etc. But you are now also allowed to build a multiplex. Now, a multiplex is essentially exactly what it sounds like. It's a multi dwelling development. So that can look like three or four units in one building. It can be on larger lots. It can maybe be over two buildings. You can maybe have six units, four units in a main building, and a double laneway house, for instance. There are a number of different configurations that you can start investigating. So a multiplex essentially is a Multi-unit development that usually is not in the, well, it isn't in the form of like what would be an apartment building per se, because a multi-unit, every unit has its own entrance. It's more of what people would kind of relate to a a duplex or a a townhome kind of typology where everybody has their own separate entrance. So there's no
3: common hallways. There's no
2: common hallways and all that kind of stuff.
3: And we're looking at the R11 zoning, and like Adam said, it's it's a lot of the city. Can we talk a little bit about lot size and how that factors in?
2: Sure. So, in order to... So, talking about the multiplexes that are permitted, you have to tick a few boxes in order to actually be also eligible to do a multiplex. So, there are certain areas in the city that are in the floodplain, very few, but there are some. Uh, you can't build a multiplex there. You also, if you don't have lane access or a, like s- some lots in the city have streets on either end, they will qualify for a multiplex. But you, if you have no lane access, right now you don't qualify for a multiplex. Hmm. So the different lot sizes then translate through to what potentially you can build on a property. So in the city of Vancouver, you have. Well, there there are lots of different sizes of lots. Not all the lots are the same size. (laughs) But generally speaking, Vancouver kind of classifies that we have two standard kind of lots. One is 33 foot wide and the other one's 50 foot wide. Right. Different depths all over the place. And there's also a whole bunch of lots that don't fall within those. But if we look at those two kind of standard sizes, usually on a 33 foot wide lot, you're going to be able to get a multiplex that's three or four units. And on a 50 foot wide lot, you can then jump at that up to six.
1: So 33 by 122, three to four units, 50 by whatever 120 or 122, roughly six six Correct.
2: units. Correct.
1: And is the FSR the.
2: Yeah. Or, so then I'm that also. <laughs> exactly. So then with the new R11 zone, the allowable FSRs are dependent on the kind of development that you're doing. So in the R11 now, if you want to build a si- single-family house, which you're still allowed to do, the FSR for that is 0. 0.6. Right. It used to be 0. 0.7. So they're so,
1: penalizing people. Yeah. They're uh, de-incentivizing. You
2: know, there's a, they're de-incentivizing, exactly. Now, <laughs> you know, I think there's some debate about this, whether that's a good move or not. There's been some backlash about that one. A lot of people are saying, you know, hey, what about large extended families? You're now penalizing people for sure. wanting to have a larger home to accommodate a larger family, for instance, mm. right? So there, there's valid debate on that one. The If you're doing a duplex, you can have 0.7 FSR. The duplexes can have both secondary suites and lock-off units as well. Single-family houses can also have secondary suites. You're still allowed to do a laneway house when you do a single family development. And the laneway houses are now being allowed to be much larger than they used to be. So, the FSR for that used to be 0.16, and now it's 0.25. Thank
1: God. Yeah. If you've ever oh, been in one, yes. let alone <laughs> lived in one.
2: And, and, and the regulations are really simplified. It used to be rather draconian, actually, trying to figure out how to design a laneway house within the yeah. bazaar restrictions. But yeah. um, that has become much more liberal, so... It's 0.25 or to a maximum of, I think, around 2,000 square feet. So if you have a huge lot, you're still only allowed to have a laneway house up to a certain maximum, but larger nevertheless. And then
3: if you are... Sorry, did you say duplex is 0.7? 0.7, okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, 0.7. Multiple conversion character retention projects are still allowed. They're allowed to be... 0.85 0.85 FSR. And then finally there's multiplex. So with those projects, you're allowed 1.0 FSR.
1: So there, it's a, so it's a, it's a kind of a, they're incentivizing exactly. more density. Yep. They're penalizing yep. you if you want to yep. build a single family home. So one thing is, is anyone who's built in Vancouver, who hasn't looked over all the regulations, guidelines, is going, how am I going to get a parking stall for each unit? Or you, whatever. Don't <laughs> yeah, you don't need so what, to. What, what, there, what
2: there, are still, there are still parking requirements for single family projects and for duplexes. Okay. But for multiplexes, there are zero parking requirements. Wow. So now this means that it doesn't mean that you don't provide parking. It means it's not legislated that you need to provide a certain number.
1: So it's basically let so, the market decide. Exactly. I mean, I, there I've, are going to be a lot more pylons on the front street. Yeah, <laughs>
3: like perfect parking everywhere. That's
1: for sure.
2: <laughs> I've so. talked to a couple of planners in the city of Vancouver about this. And, you know, their rationale is that instead of dictating a certain number, they are going on the assumption that any developer in order to make their project viable is going to provide as many stalls as they can. Sure. If you're doing a sixplex on a 50 foot wide lot, the reality is is that you can't provide a surface parking stall for every unit. You don't have this. You don't have the, the site width right to do it.
1: So th- this is is kind of clearly the death of the single family home in uh, the city of Vancouver. And we've seen the stats of applications for single family detached right. decrease dramatically. I think we should probably put that on our Instagram. There's a really it's like a stark different drop-off, right? Mm-hmm. Of people mm-hmm. applying for, but this in many ways might be the death of the side-by-side duplex or even fifty-footers. Duple- it's front front quite back possible at some point front-back duplexes. I mean, if I'm incentivized, I mean, every most people will go to best use unless they're mm-hmm. building for themselves. In which case, then you're right. It's it's complicated or, yeah, for multi-generational niche.
3: Yeah. So yeah. my understanding too is the FSR from the province. Is different?
2: Well, <laughs> the Bill 44 does not dictate FSRs. Okay. What they have done is they've supplied a envelope in which it's more about determining number of units. Then it's up. They have a whole bunch of, of suggestions and guidelines for municipalities, but none of it includes FSR. It includes things like height, setbacks, etc. And the number of units. So the actual uh, FSR is not coming from the province.
3: Okay. And just another clarification, rentals, does it change in relation to if you're doing strata or or rental um, or a combination?
2: Under the R11, I believe you are allowed up to eight units if it's a secured market rental project.
3: So all eight have to be.
2: Believe so, yeah.
3: Secured rentals. I haven't,
2: I haven't really investigated that. Right. So don't hold me to that one, but I believe
3: so. Okay, okay. So, the, but they are incentivizing. They rentals are. Yeah. as well. Yeah, multifamily yeah. and rentals.
1: Yeah. Okay. Have you looked at uh, so breaking? Uh, assuming, and this is, I'm maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but just thinking about the FSR of like a 50 foot lot and doing six units. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go a bunch of different ways, I'm guessing. But what rough do you have a sense of like what size each unit would be or 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 like a breakdown?
2: Well, if you're if you've got, let's say, 50 by 120, that's like six a six thousand square foot yeah. lot. So you can build six
1: thousand, square, thousand square
2: foot units, more or less. I mean, that's just kind of really ballpark, but yeah.
3: Do you have a sense of um and this is more just on the ground? Uh, how many people are, are, and I guess they'd all be in the permitting process right now, right, in the city of Vancouver, but is this like, are people going gangbusters into this new zoning? I guess just from your kind of right. on the street?
2: I do believe that they have started getting applications in. I read about that. I don't have any colleagues or, or us who ha- actually have yet. There's a lot of interest. We've got a lot of things under development. Right. But, you know, this is all brand new. Mm-hmm. I mean... The regulations the r one one regulations, I mean, they've only been out for a number of months, right, so I think it time will tell in the next number of months how many applications they actually do start getting it's It's hard to know
1: how, how do you think this impacts the urban landscape of the city of Vancouver and then also maybe like just housing density overall
2: right, right. I don't think that multiplexes are going to have a dramatic effect, at least immediately, on the environment within the city of Vancouver. You know, not everybody's going to go out tomorrow and put up a multiplex on their property, right? This is about incremental change. So these projects are going to start popping up in neighborhoods. And, you know, to be frank, I don't think that they have a huge effect on the livability of a neighborhood. These are small changes. You know, when you look at it, most properties, even before these changes, you could build a single family dwelling and a secondary suite in a laneway house already, right? right. So, I mean, yes, this is a jump, but it's not huge. These are, you know, it, I mean, at first glance, yes, it looks huge, but the reality is, is a city doesn't change overnight. It evolves yeah. over time. And as a city, we need to densify. We have a housing crisis, Yeah, you know?
1: And you're right about that because that's I mean, what everyone's saying is this is not going to move the needle on affordability for a very long time.
2: well, the reality is is even even if you had a project in in the queue right now for a uh, development permit because multiplexes still do need to go through a development permit process. It is vastly streamlined in the city of Vancouver, but you still need to go through a development permit process and then a building permit process. So even if you had an application in today, it's not going to be built for a couple of years. And that's like something that's that's already been designed and submitted.
1: Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible.
3: We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the Lower Mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience?
0: Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just Feeling like you really made an impact and connected with the community.
3: And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee.
0: Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes.
3: And you made some friends along and the way. And I've
0: made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact,
3: right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Konkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca.
0: Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution.
3: We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's com slash join type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the bigwigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to Oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.
1: Just while we're talking about kind of the breakdown in Vancouver, you know, one thing that's striking about looking at this, the van map viewer map, and we'll share this on our social as well, but it's every, there seems to be no real sacred. There's not a lot of sacred areas for a single family, right? Like at all. And I'm just thinking what this does, Tom Davidoff was on recently talking about just, uh, he's doing the study on the impact of value being, I think it's being of the house, the single family house being next to a house with a laneway. Is that right? So I think they're doing
3: more research around that. I was actually going to bring that up too, but my understanding is the research they've done, and it was with Andre Pavlov and a few other people, is that in East Vancouver, a laneway actually leads to values in the surrounding area going up. And okay. on the west side, a laneway leads to
1: values going down. I see. Right? So does this level that out? Because now it just seems like it's, I mean, there's not, there's presumably over the next few years, mm-hmm. there's not going to be many areas where you don't well, have a multiplex. Well, especially because well, think about
2: it though. I mean, a laneway house, you've been allowed to have on the east side and the west side for how many years now? Yeah, yeah it's hard to know
1: next to me, the guy,
2: but but at the same same (laughs) time, I mean, when anybody, when any of your neighbors could potentially be building a laneway house or a multiplex or whatever, it does level the playing field in that, Being next to one today doesn't mean, or not being next to one today doesn't mean that a year from now, you're not going to be next to one. Sure.
3: So I wonder about, because, and also there's larger, you know, further west, there's larger lots as well, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. that's attractive for developers. I wonder if it starts moving block by block. And I'm just thinking this incremental change, like a house on my street, not to bring it back to my street, but I'll do that over the course of this conversation a number of times just sold. And mm-hmm. they have no, right now it's like, okay, there's, they've put, you know, uh, landscaping crew in there or something, but clearly mm-hmm. they have designs on what they're going to do with that lot. But I wonder, I was thinking, okay, there's no, it seems like so far, there's nothing going on. I wonder if they're kind of waiting and sussing this out. But I wonder what that does literally, literally to my block, if they put four or six units Makes it a lot harder to park in front of your house. It makes, well, it could, th- but I yeah. wonder if, if block by block, it's like, okay, what's being built? What is built on these, mm-hmm. how that impacts values Yeah, in the well, short term, I guess, not in the long term. In right. the short term as it, as it. I mean, I guess nobody knows. Well, I
2: mean, either. you can't purchase real estate on the short term. I mean, no, when, sure. you know. You guys, well, you can speak to this better (laughs) than I can, but but you know you can be
1: my realtor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: you 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 can't make decisions based on that. It's like it's like people who get upset when a tall building blocks their view. Well, you know you don't own your view. Like things evolve and change.
1: I actually was thinking that this would change in the positive, in the sense that it would it would kind of more eliminate the NIMBY kind of approach to like what what Tom was suggesting is that like the West Side's shaking their hand in anger that there's these development projects going on, but once these start getting rolled out, I feel like it's going to actually even the plane a bit more for like across the city. city. Well, I
2: think also people have built up perception or people can have built up perceptions on how tragic development can be. Right. And the reality is, is that once a lot of projects get built, they just become part of your environment. They get absorbed. You don't even notice them after a while. And, the reality is, is we live in a growing city. Cities evolve; they don't remain stagnant. You don't want your city to remain stagnant.
1: Yeah, and so, hopefully this means uh, more kids coming to Vancouver. Well, so. I was going to
3: say yeah, if you had yeah. four units at a thousand
2: mm-hmm, square feet
3: mm-hmm, each, you mm-hmm. could actually have legitimately four more families exactly. on a block, exactly. Um, which is and
2: more fantastic. density brings more services to a right. neighborhood. It means brings more, you know diversity, more, you know, more restaurants, more services, more facilities, all those kinds of things, right?
3: You know, just thinking out loud, I wonder if this does even a playing field though, because I'm just thinking about, we were talking about there's a duplex, a side-by-side duplex in East Van that uh, sold not long ago, Mm -hmm. and it had a one bedroom lock-off suite. Okay. Okay. So both sides and they were like two four. Yeah. Right. So let's say so It's a pretty high price point for a brand new duplex. But the listing realtor who I spoke with said he had 25 groups through or something. And he said of that, almost 80% of them asked, how can I get rid of the suite? Like, we don't need a suite. And he said- They wanted the space. They need the space. Right. But at one seven, so if you go drop, say, five, 600K off that, where you get a a front back duplex smaller- Mm -hmm. Everybody wants a suite, yeah. So I wonder on the west side, like I wonder if this does even the playing field across east and west side, just in terms of what people are are wanting. I think and, it's going to
2: result in more diverse options for everybody.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, there's going to be more different kinds of developments all over the place. Hopefully, anyways, because I think that makes
1: except makes a, maybe for people that want large spaces and have the mm-hmm. money to buy them. Yeah, correct. So that might be the 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 real loser here is
2: I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, okay. No, having said all of that, you're talking about NIMBYism. Mm-hmm. The one thing that was really interesting is when the R11 zoning went to public hearing at the end of the whole process. It was a very long public hearing. Right. And we had it playing in the background in our office in the afternoon and the evening. And um, so I listened to a good chunk of it. Because I thought there was going to be an uproar about parking, about, you know, all this. And I was really surprised. The number of people who were there actually voicing support was significant. I could count the number of times on my hand that people even brought up parking. It was really very different than what you would have expected even, you know, Three, four years ago, it would would have been completely different.
1: But this is what blows my mind because this is the, I I think I told this story on the podcast before maybe, but I met this woman who had worked at the city of Vancouver at the front desk on 10th, basically her whole career, you know, 20 years fighting tooth and nail to save parking. And right. then she's like, and, and I, and I ran into a reason. She's like, my whole career was saving parking and now it's just gone. Right.
2: Yeah. And, yeah.
1: but like, this is really like, what has changed so dramatically in four years that it's not a lineup of people saying, Hey, my parking, huh? my, you know, like, think about even how we you felt think about it's a covid
2: Absolutely. Like, not That's like a that was like a blink, yeah. a
1: blink ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Something has changed, obviously, mm-hmm. around, and maybe it's that it's being screamed uh, that supply is being screamed about at every municipal level now or, or every yeah. government level. Yeah. Or it's, it's maybe more pervasive in, in or like what seemed like a insane housing crisis in
3: 2016 or 2017. It's now gotten mm-hmm. that much mm-hmm. worse yeah. where, mm-hmm. you know, it's literally hollowed out yeah. full neighborhoods. I don't know.
2: Environmental yeah. concerns are also, you know, a big factor, you right. know, if you you know, people are, are examining their use of their vehicle a lot more than they used to. Totally. Car share,
1: and I know, all of those
2: kinds of things do start incrementally making a difference. Right.
1: Yeah.
3: And, and also I suspect the people that lined up on the, in kits to, you know, scream about a tower going in. Yeah. Still would scream about yes, a tower absolutely. going in. But yeah. it's like... This gentle. is this yeah this is actually probably what they were
1: arguing for right the, the gentle, gentle density. density yeah yeah
2: yeah
1: interesting um so maybe i'm just i'm just thinking maybe changing gears here a little bit we've kind of covered what you can do or what we know about the the province right now which mm-hmm. is still a moving target we've talked a little bit about what lots qualify in vancouver what you can do on lots but obviously it's it's tough right because as mm-hmm. an architect i mean every Every lot has its the nuances, right? Like the little absolutely. details. Yeah. So you yeah. you kind of have to, like I wouldn't if anyone's at home thinking that they can do this for sure, maybe call an architect. Oh,
2: well, absolutely. I mean, you have Her to. Name's the, Tara. Yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> These are broad strokes, right? Yeah. It, with any project, you have to look at the particulars of the project at hand. You have to look at the lot. Right. What are the dimensions? What are the particular uh, situation that you're you're up against? Is there a lane? What are the trees? Uh, are there any easements? Are that you know like you've got to look at a whole slew of things. So yes, these are broad strokes, but um, especially in the city of Vancouver, you know, any good architect or reputable designer should be able to do that kind of preliminary zoning analysis work for you. That's what we we term it in our office is zoning analysis. Is kind of figuring out the envelope in which an, a project can occur, and that's really the first step in any kind of process.
1: What kind of, what kind of considerations are you taking in, like uh, for when you just start uh, looking at like the lot in right, general? Right,
2: right, right. Well, usually we, so say a client uh, comes to us with a property. What can I do here? Right, right. So there's a number of processes that we go through. We look at the actual zoning for that property. So we do um, usually a bit of an analysis that can sometimes involve drawing, some preliminary site plan analysis on setbacks and all those kinds of things. So we look at the zoning, we then sometimes will reach out to the municipality if there are potential rezoning options that, you know, a landowner can look at, because that is sometimes a possibility. And it's just about incrementally building up the information to make informed decisions on what can possibly be done there.
1: Right. I would imagine that in this case, it's going to be, we're moving to a, a, a place where hopefully the guidelines and what you can do are yes. going to be even clearer. Yes. And, I, and we've even, we went to see Ken Sim speak the other day and he was talking about like approved multiplexes that are going to be, and I don't uh, know how,
2: Yeah. Okay. I don't know how,
1: how if that's actually going to be. Uh,
2: well, you know, the the old kind of standard design things, I mean, you're yeah. talking to an architect, I kind of cringe, right? But the reality is, is, and I mean, you can look at things like that, But the reality is, is not all lots are the same. Like we were talking about, not all topographies are the same. Not all, you know, like you have to look at the particulars of the site on what is appropriate.
1: Do do you think this could lead to the new van special, though?
2: I mean, I guess it's possible.
1: Possible.
2: I'm not quite sure how all of that comes out in the wash. I'm not quite sure the nuts and bolts of, you know, the city taking that on of pre-approved plans well who gets designed to design the pre-approved plans sure right who owns the copyright to them who you know like there's a whole slew C-M-H-C. of questions right know. you know so I don't know how that would actually I think they're just in the preliminary stages of investigating that as a possibility
1: and then someone will do a better design or a or work with it to do a different <laughs> design and then the more it'll be like you know the spec versus custom or you know the, yeah exactly it, yeah
3: well, th- that's kind of where I was going because, like, you look at laneways from, uh, maybe fifteen years ago or right. ten years ago. How how long have laneways been around? But well, yeah, co- even coaches or whatever. Yeah, the early the earlier laneways though, are, I guess part of it's the size constraints and everything else. But right. I'm always struck by an older laneway seems like. It's like they got a lot better at designing small they were very houses.
2: rudimentary at the beginning, right, right yeah. so what
3: i'm I'm wondering is 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 like in terms of this process, do you see that playing out like for the first couple of years, is it like, oh my God, these are unlivable spaces, well, and then it's like a collective wisdom in the architectural well, community kind of I builds think, on it, or
2: mm, well, um. First of all, a lot of laneway houses are not designed by architects. Okay. <laughs> that, might
1: first, that might be the first problem. It's, so, actually, uh, know, it's actually grade three students. Yeah.
2: So you don't have to be a registered architect to design a laneway house. So, you know, while there are great designers out there, not everybody is created equal. Right. So having said that, it also comes down to who you're hiring to do to design a building. Because there are people who know how to design a building well and there are people who can design a building. It doesn't mean that you are going to get beautiful piece of architecture. Mm-hmm. So or even, you know, it doesn't right. have to be a beautiful piece of architecture. It just has to be a well designed building. Right. Right. So I think that does come back to who is in who's doing the designing.
3: Right. Interesting. But that might be, well, no, I shouldn't say. I we'll see how it plays out, I guess.
1: Yeah. I wonder if there's anything. I think I think we've covered a lot on on the yeah. Process, I just on said I where we're two at.
3: Two more questions, uh, very quickly. One mm-hmm. is um, you look at the so for 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 everyone at home that's not looking at the van map here. Basically, Kitsilano, Fairview, Mount Pleasant to sixteenth. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, sixteenth is kind of the cutoff,
3: right? Yeah. And then to East Van into Grandview to Nanaimo. A lot of that kind of the areas surrounding the the downtown area of Vancouver is still RT.
2: Yeah, our M or RT zones are are for the most part covering most of those residential areas.
3: Right, and I'm just thinking somebody in that has RT actually has parking that they have to provide. Correct. Like, is that? And it's the area right around downtown, which you'd think would be denser than Mm -hmm. the new Mm R11. Do you expect changes Uh, there? It's quite
2: possible. I mean, when you look at, I mean, granted, I'm not a representative from the city of Vancouver, but when you look at what the aims of the RT zones were is to provide a higher level of density than what was originally in the RS zones. And now it's kind of almost reversing that or not reversing it, but making it a more level playing field. So I don't know if the city of Vancouver has any plans on making adjustments to those zones as well. I can't speak to that. Right. But, but it um, is interesting
3: that it is interesting. R11 Absolutely. is actually it's easier to build something denser without parking in,
1: say what well, makes yeah, but yes. it makes sense, right? Because he's, the collar community around downtown is significantly denser than than the balance, right? So you think about like Fairview slopes, mostly, yeah, you know, wood, wood frame multifamily, yeah. a lot of kits in the areas that they've highlighted. So, But I
3: think that was the RT zoning, right? I think actually, I point taken, but I think this was just all the different RSs, mm-hmm. they just blanket changed it. Correct. But if it was RT already, it nothing stays changed. the same. It just yes, stayed the same because they didn't, yeah. they didn't. Take that on correct? yet or at all. Yeah.
2: And I I don't know if they have any plans in the mix. There's a lot of change going to be happening and has already happened. So it'll be interesting to see what the city uh, decides to do next. So
1: your your point then, if I I just want to make sure I understand it, but you're saying basically some of the areas in the collar, your best use is actually now not as good. Yeah, As, exactly. Okay, something
3: in Marple can be built with less parking and denser family. than something in Grandview. Right, of like now. a
1: uh, yeah, a, like a standard lot or something. Right,
3: of, right, right. Okay, which is kind of strange. And then my final question, and thanks for your time again,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, is around. You know, we've talked about two things here that potentially are not in conflict, but I guess potentially are. One is all those provincial changes. Mm-hmm. And and then we talked about the changes at the city of Vancouver. And then I think it was offline. We talked about other areas of Metro Vancouver where they haven't made the changes yet. What's going to happen? And it seems very, very complicated too. And I'm sure somebody <laughs> at home is going, yeah, yeah. oh my God, this is a streamlined version. Now, is it because the people at home didn't go through 30 different RSs to try and figure out what the hell was going on before? Or is this actually, like, is this going to, does this make things easier in your mind?
2: Um, well, if I understand your question, are you talking about, in the city of Vancouver, the R11 zoning, I think, does make things easier. Yeah. in it From a number of ways in terms of it streamlines a lot of processes. It simplifies the regulations. So, in that way, it kind of streamlines things. Right now, I think we're in a transition period, so nothing is really streamlined because we (laughs) have more questions than answers right Right. now in terms of the provincial stuff. Right. We have the basic um, big-picture governance, but we don't have the nuts and bolts application of that by the municipalities yet because none of that's been enacted yet. So, hopefully, once that actually is enacted, it will result in other municipalities to have more simplified Uh, zoning. But that remains to be seen.
1: Okay. Tarek, we have this segment called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions that we end every show. Can you stick around for that?
2: Sure.
1: The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors
3: in the lower mainland and a perfect, five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help
1: with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay, so question number one is one book that you've read recently that you would recommend.
2: Oh, goodness. Well, um, I'm going to say... We got at Christmas time this lovely book that I've just been enthralled with it's called The Beautiful Brain and it's a series of actual drawings by a turn of the century neurologist of the brain and they're absolutely gorgeous. So oh, wow. that it's like has a been coffee
3: in- table book. It's or? like
2: a coffee table book but it has very detailed drawings. They're very actually architectural believe it or not but it's just a gorgeous book. So that has has me enthralled right now.
1: Wow. That's a great recommendation. Yeah.
3: In the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life?
2: Um, Well, I don't know if it's new because I have been doing this for quite a while. But um, one thing that that I have made a more conscious move of is making sure that I take time for myself. And that usually means going out into my yard and gardening. So insisting that on a nice day, I put work aside and go out and enjoy the day.
1: Fantastic. And for the immune system too. Mhm. Question number 3, what have you been binge watching lately or a movie <laughs> recommendation?
2: Oh god. Binge watching
3: talk as much about binge watching binge anymore.
2: watching well you know what for binge watching any Nordic crime drama oh, series I keep I'm hearing about in. them
3: but everybody loves them I have. No...
2: Oh yes yes so I could or list do you off have a number we...
1: one I haven't listed like the top your top um, choice um,
2: get somebody hooked the bridge um, is that on Netflix um, hmm it's on one of the okay. yeah, I'll, a, I'll yeah, do yeah my I don't own know researcher. border it's town border town's another one that was really border good <laughs>
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've heard about this a lot, actually. A
2: lot yes, of people seem,
1: yes. uh, uh there's an those.
2: Icelandic one called Trap that's really good. Anyways. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There. Set, there. Set, there. Set, wow. Set in- there's three <laughs> streaming things
1: set in Gimli, Manitoba. That
3: one. <laughs> All right. Uh, number four for you here favorite band or music?
2: Hmm. I don't really have a favorite band. I listen to a lot of different things. And I actually don't listen to a ton of music, but, um, I would probably say, well, what I've been listening to a lot in the last year is being The National. Yeah. Oh. And I kind of got hooked on Alison Russell too.
3: I don't know Alison Russell. You don't know her? Oh,
2: no. R&B artist from Montreal.
1: Ah. Okay. You're more of she's the R&B very, of, she's uh, very good. the two of us. I, I enjoy the R&B. Yeah. Um, okay. Question number five. Something that you have purchased for under $1,500 <laughs> that has had an impact on your life uh, recently.
2: Uh, for under $1,500. Let's see. We,
1: we almost have to, with inflation, mm-hmm. I know. Keep I feel like that was our that 2016 oh, number. Yeah. Now well, it's
2: like
3: $45,000. <laughs> okay.
2: The biggest thing that I bought in the last year that made a huge difference in my life, but it was over $1,500, is a new desk chair. I mean, I'm really, oh. really boring, but oh my God, having the right chair is...
1: No, that's the tempo of priceless. this office. It's we, priceless. It's, yeah. We moved to stand up desk, but now I think I need a new chair. <laughs> <laughs> you don't always want to stand up, especially if it's like it's you're doing very room. good for you. It though. is good. It's yeah. it's yeah, it's been about three years now, but I yeah, I do I appreciate You've it. You have to have down. good
2: shoes and not be standing on concrete. But other than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, actually. And I, I I, am standing on hard floors and I don't have good What's shoes. So, yeah. Well, maybe that's all shoes. you need. You <laughs> yes. don't
2: need a chair. You just need good shoes. Just need new balance.
1: Uh, <laughs> Tara, uh, we appreciate you coming on and educating us. We'd love to have you back in July uh, or end yes, of June yes. if we get some clarity on these and maybe we can kind of unpack it more. But I think that's a really great overview for people uh, who have been asking. We've had so many emails. Yeah. A lot and, of people. Uh, direct messages. But it's about, funny. It
3: was like, why haven't you guys been talking about this? And I think we've kind of unpacked in a really useful way, mm-hmm, but also mm-hmm. suggested why. It's like, man, it's, this is tough
2: to figure out. It's not straightforward. Yeah. And and we're still in flux. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, last but not least, how can people find out about GDP Architecture and learn more about right. just getting in touch?
2: Well, you can reach out uh, via email info at We also have our website um, really boring gdparchitecture.ca. <laughs> um, so yeah, just reach out. All of our contact information is on our website.
1: Okay, and Fantastic. we'll share it in the show notes. Uh, appreciate your time.
2: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: There you have a folks. Our discussion with Tara Gronlund, principal at GDP Architecture. Really enjoyed having Tara in the studio. Wealth of information. We got to have her back, man.
3: She had. I feel like we
1: could have went hours. Uh, she brought maps, binders. It yeah. was like really well. It was prepared. an education, totally. And uh, we're gonna have a link to in the show notes to uh, GDP Architecture for people that want to learn more or want to reach out to Tara. And of course, exciting changes coming at the provincial level obviously there wasn't a ton to talk about at the at the provincial level what's going on in in different towns and cities across uh, BC but we are going to know more towards the end of June I think it's June 30th yes exactly
3: yeah uh what else do we have before we go cut for the day Adam uh we have Vancouver real estate Podcast.com. this is our website where all things real estate related live head over to vancouver real com for things like the live wire this is our weekly mailer. You get to know what's on both podcasts, our podcast, the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. You get deal of the month stats before anyone else, different types of stats. You get VIP access to pre-sale projects. There's really no reason why you shouldn't be on this list. Totally. Second of all, you can hit buy with us and you get access to private client services.
1: Yeah, Matt. And if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's the best listings management software out there. It's what we use when we're monitoring markets and it's free available at our site. Just click buy with us at Vancouver real estate podcast.com for your own free account. And the reality is, is it's no reason not to have a PCS account set up. It's, it's free. the best way. It's free. And you get those sold prices and that realtor level information, which is what everybody needs. What do they say? No obligation, no cost. Exactly. Matt,
3: how can people get in touch with you? If you want to talk to me about anything, including PCS,
1: 778-847-2854 or matt at com, Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at com, And of course, we got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com podcast.com we'll have a great week and another great episode coming next week i'm super excited oh man is it jayden lee next week it's jayden lee next week talking about what might be one of the best investment markets in the lower mainland uh, this year the province Ooh. okay all right we'll see you next week take care (laughs) two
2: thousand faces for radio subscribe today